0: Well done. Hello, friends. My name is Jesse. It's a joy to be one of the pastors of Grace Church. Uh, When I was 19 years old, my life changed uh, dramatically. I became a Christian. And for the first time in my life, I started to get good grades. No joke. I started to get straight A's. Uh, For some reason, uh, even in kindergarten, I just got C's. I just was not a great Student, and it only got worse in high school. Uh, Some of you know my story. Sophomore, junior, senior year, I started doing a lot of drugs and going to a lot of parties. And uh, my senior year in high school, uh, English class, Miss Flicker, I was flunking, and you need to pass that class in order to graduate high school. Uh, I'll save you the whole story. I ended up passing with a D minus and graduating, uh, and then went to community college and uh, got. Jesus just saved my life. Um, And then I started to get straight A's for the first time. And I couldn't believe it. I was so pumped. I I believe God was healing my brain and just giving me a motivation to study and to read and just to to execute. Um, But I was so excited every time I got another A that I had to call my dad. My dad raised my sister and I, and I couldn't believe it, and he couldn't believe it. And I was like, Dad, I got another A, and we celebrated together. Uh, over and over again. And the reason I called him is because, as I reflect, he was he was my person. He was one of my people in my life. Uh, last week, if you were here, you'll remember that Peter and John were arrested and then they're before the courts, and the courts tell them, do not speak any longer uh, the name of Jesus. And they respond with, well, are we going to listen to you or God? What do you think it's going to be? We are going to listen to God because there is no other name in which people can be saved. Uh, and then they, are, they actually release them and let them go. And as Jace just read for us, if you caught it, what do they do? They go to, it says, their people. And they begin to tell their people what happened. And, and I put myself in that moment And they're probably like, Peter and John, okay, so we healed this guy. God healed this guy through us. And then we proclaimed the name of Jesus. We got arrested. They told us not to talk in Jesus' name. And we're like, we're going to do it. Sorry. And we thought it was over. Just like they killed Jesus, the same same court, we thought they were going to crucify us. At least flog us. They did not even put a scratch on us. They let us go. Uh, And I just imagine they're just so pumped that they didn't get beat and they go and tell their people. In exciting moments uh, when you get a new job or have a baby or are engaged or whatever, who do you want to go tell? Who are your people? God has wired us, every one of us, deep in our soul to have our people that none of us uh, were made to live alone. And today we want to answer the question, what kind of people should we have? Who should be your people? And we're going to see uh, from the text uh, four different qualities of the kinds of people we we want. And so uh, their people hear the news, and they immediately begin to proclaim some truths about God. The first thing that they say is, God, you made the heavens and the earth. God, you are the creator of all things. And they recognize that. The next thing they say is, God, you spoke Through the Holy Spirit. Way back, if you caught it when you read it, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through our, they say, our father David, uh, captured in Psalm 2, that was quoted in the text, uh, that God, you have revealed yourself. You are a God of revelation. You reveal yourself to human beings, and that uh, is captured in the Bible for us to know you. You're a God who reveals yourself. And then the third thing is they say that, God, you, your power decided beforehand how this was all going to work out. That, God, you are a God who is sovereign. God, you're sovereign through all of history. And in the text, it says that, you, God, you even used your enemies to work out your will to be done. That is just mind-bending bend, and blowing how God does that. And so one thing we observe about Peter and John's people is that um, they are thinking correctly about God in both exciting moments and in hard moments. So question of reflection. Do your people, who are your people, in moments that are difficult or great, do your people point you to the sovereignty of God or do they point you to something else? If your marriage is struggling and on the rocks, if you're trying to figure out who should I date or how should I go about dating this person, or if you're dreaming about your future and what your future is going to look like, are you surrounding yourselves with your people who are pointing you towards uh, the, the way of God or in some other direction? Because it is crucial, and the truth is whoever we surround ourselves with is going to determine much of our future. We need to be thinking correctly about God. There's two ways to know God. Uh, at least this is my simple way of uh, just communicating it. Number one is we can... We can tell God who you are. And we do this all the time where we say, God, as the creation, I'm going to tell you, the creator, who you are. When I think of you, God, you are X, Y, Z. And often we, we decide who God is based on what we feel God should be or our circumstances in life or our observations about the world or the things we read or see online. We, we just decide who God is based on what we think God is like. No, um, I don't think I'm smart enough. <laughs> to define and decide who God is. I mean, when you think about it, it's a little presumptuous that we as finite human beings can decide who God is, the infinite, all-powerful God. But, sometimes, but people all the time, they decide who God is based on what they think. The second way to know God is to understand that God reveals himself to creation, and it's captured uh, through human beings in stories. They wrote it down in the Bible. This is God saying, don't even try to figure out on your own who I am. But if you want to know me, I am revealing myself, and you could truly know me through, uh, the, through the authoritative word, the word of God. And this is best done with other people, with other Christians and other people around us that are working out God together. I believe that all Christians should be theologians. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. If you're a Christ follower, I believe that you should see yourself as a theologian. Now, I don't mean necessarily a scholar who's like spending hours in the seminary library and reading the big thick books. Like, that's not what I mean. But the word theology is, uh, is taken from two different Greek words. Theos and ology, which is the study Theos is God and ology is the study. So it's just the study of God. Similar to like anthropology, anthropos is man. And so anthropology is the study of man. And so um, we should see ourselves as theologians. This is not just for the paid Christians who went to seminary. But I did the math. 98% of these people who are working out their theology and communicating these things about God are new believers. And I get that math because 120 are, uh, are, are the original church. And now we have about 5,000 Christians in the last month. And so 98% of this new church community are new believers. They're unschooled in formal theology. But make no mistake about it, is that they know theology. And so our first point is you need to find your people who are learning to think theologically. You need to find your people to begin to, to think theologically about God. I love this. I just want, amen. <laughs> this pumps me up. Hopefully you too. But um, this is what we do in house church. Now it is not a seminary class. It is not a theo- systematic theology class. We say that it's not spiritual enough for Christians, but it's way too spiritual for non-Christians. We want to create that, that tension in that space for Christians and non-Christians to to be working out uh, their faith. But it is a place where unschooled house church leaders in formal theology lead and we work together to work out who is God. We're honest about what we're going through in life. And we, look, we go through the sermon and we, we look at the scriptures and we are working out what the truth of God is together in light of our lives. One reason this is best done with other people instead of by ourselves in isolation, is because we, need, we borrow each other's wisdom and faith. We borrow each other's wisdom and faith. In-house church, we share our struggles, and we're working out um, the truth of God in our everyday lives. But none of us, none of us have enough wisdom and enough faith on our own to go through the things of life that we have to go through. None of us do. And so all of us need to borrow each other's faith and each other's wisdom to to figure out how do we live this life in truth and in obedience to God. So we need to find our people who will point us to think correctly about God. Well, based on the truth of God, uh, they begin to ask God to to do things. And then we see that God moves powerfully um, through this early church. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all, underline that word all if you have your Bible, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so they ask, they pray, they ask God to to do some things and then we see that God moves powerfully Through them, let's break down a little bit what they ask. The first thing they ask is, they say, God, consider their threats. Notice they're not saying, God, stop their threats. They're not saying, God, take them all out, wipe them out, because they're just against us, and it would be great if they weren't against us. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying, God, consider their threats in the same way that Jesus entered into persecution and adversity and just kept moving forward out of obedience to his Father in heaven and suffered because of it, that we will follow in the footsteps of our Savior. God, in the midst of us trusting you and walking in faith, God, be with us and empower us through it. The second thing they say is, God, enable your servants to speak with boldness. Now, if you remember, the courts just told them No longer speak in the name of Jesus. And so what's their response? Jesus, empower us to speak even more boldly in your name. They are doubling down. They are not letting fear determine their future. Man, when you don't allow fear of what other people think of you, when when the Lord takes that away from your heart, man, you can live with a sense of boldness and not not caring what other people think about you. Peter and John has modeled for them boldness and living out their faith for Jesus. And now what do we see? We see that that boldness is spreading, right? We have now like 5,000 Jesus followers who are asking to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. This is multiplying the work. You need to find your people who are praying boldly to share Jesus. So you need to find people who are asking God to share boldly Jesus through you. Uh, Boldness does not mean yelling. Boldness does not mean disrespecting people or being obtrusive or annoying to people. Boldness means you're sharing your authentic love for Jesus with people around you. What do you love about Jesus? Now, we do this all the time. We boldly share our loves with people all around us. We boldly share what we're going on vacation this summer. Don't you? We, I do it. I'm going on vacation and I share it with everybody. We boldly share parents, our cute little kids, with everyone around us. And they don't want to hear it and it's annoying, but you know what? My kids are cuter than yours. And so uh, we boldly share the amazing dish that that chef has prepared for us. And we take a picture and we post it on social so that everyone can see our bold love for this amazing dish. I I suspect that for many of us, we don't share boldly Jesus because we really don't know Jesus that well. And this is a hypothesis that has a little bit of uh, observation work that I've done. I've noticed something about just Christians. Not you, but just Christians in general. I've I, 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 um, I I've noticed that Christians actually don't know that much about Jesus. And what I mean are the actual specific stories and accounts and teachings of the person of Jesus. I, I like to ask the question, what is your favorite moment in the life of Jesus? A story where he interacts with another person that has deeply formed and shaped your life. I'll ask Christians that. And Often, there's a blank stare of, I cannot think of a story. I'm not kidding. And, or they'll be like, oh, that woman at the well, that story was amazing. Oh, yeah, tell me about her. I don't know, but what Jesus did with her was amazing. That woman, she's, she's a great motivator for me. Uh, and and I, if, if we're honest, we don't really know Jesus that well. We don't have that much information about Jesus, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books are the only authoritative information that we have about who Jesus is, and really Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really the same. They're called the synoptics. They kind of copied each other. Uh, We can get into that more later, but so if we're just going to look at Luke and John, just two Gospels, it's like not very much information and stories about Jesus, and if we're honest, we haven't really let these stories saturate our essence and our being, and these stories of Jesus and his teaching hasn't made their way into our bones and into our imaginations in the way that I believe Jesus wants to. And We need to soak ourselves in the stories. We can't fall in love with some abstract concept of Jesus. We need to fall in love with the actual person of Jesus that is captured in the Gospels with clarity. And and if we're honest, we know the story of Michael Scott and Jim and Pam and Ross and Rachel We know their stories. We know like when they got engaged in Vegas and then came back and they're like, how did we end up getting married? We know these stories. Who can't quote Michael Scott? That's what she said and all of the different things. Uh, I'm embellishing here a little bit. We know the statistics of Tatis and Machado. We know all of the stats and their scores. I mean, we know these people, but how much do we know the stats and the details and the story of Jesus who we worshiped as the king of heaven and earth, and we sing these worship songs, and, and we proclaim and take on the name of Jesus, and we really don't know that much about him often, if we're honest. We're formed by the stories of Hollywood. You know, who we all know the story of Luke, you know, Luke Skywalker or Spider-Man in the, you know, the universe. I really don't know them that well, but like, <laughs> we are formed by these stories on social media and Hollywood, and we know them so well. But in comparison, how much do we know the story and the ins and outs of Jesus? And this is convicting for all of us, myself included. When I was an a, university um, staff worker, basically a college pastor at UCSD for seven years, um, we had one evangelism strategy with our college students, with our leaders. It, they were called gigs, groups investigating God. And all we did with, to train our students to share the gospel with their non-Christian sweetmates and on library walk was... Uh, Pick your favorite story in the life of Jesus. One. Pick your favorite story in the life of Jesus where he interacts with somebody and and come up with some questions based on who he is, and, and then ask somebody, hey, can I share with you one of my favorite moments in the life of Jesus? Guess what? Don't be surprised when they say yes. People are actually very, very open and interested in Jesus. And so you just open up your Bible and you start, you read the story and you start asking questions about it. There are Uh, I looked at it earlier, 46 stories according to one Bible guy that where Jesus interacts with another person. Man, the poor widow has deeply affected my life and shaped my life. The the, the woman that was bleeding for 12 years, the centurion, Zacchaeus, Peter, the man with the withered hand, the, the paralytic that was lowered by his four friends. Uh, the, the woman at the well is, an, I mean, there are so many stories of how Jesus interacts with these different people. And if they could, I mean, if we could have five, if you could have five stories that shape and inform your de- your love for Jesus, if you are a follower of him, that you can, at, at the drop of a hat, share with anyone and anyone and help them to know why they can also love jesus how would that shape our boldness in sharing the love of jesus with people around us we would see our imaginations and our hearts would be transformed with the truth the grace and with boldness so that's point number two (laughs) we see that they pray and then there's an earthquake and it says that they are all filled all filled with the Holy Spirit. This word fill is the Greek word pimplemi. Um, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Now, the word pimplemi is used 25 times in the New Testament. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, uh, uses the word 22 times. So Luke likes this word and uses it more than anyone else. Uh, in Acts, he uses this word nine times to be filled. And you, in, in Acts, we see that people are filled with wonder and amazement and jealousy. Next week, we'll see that someone is pimplemi, filled with Satan. That's not good. Uh, but we also see that there's five times where people are pimpalemi with the Holy Spirit. This is the third account. The first one was in Acts 2, when the 120 are filled with the Spirit. The second time was earlier in this chapter, where Peter is filled with the Spirit. And now we see 5,000 plus Women and children are all, it says, filled with the Spirit. The movement of God filling up people is expanding, isn't it? Everyday people, unnamed people, we don't know who these people are, but they are all filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to do a little bit of a deep dive for a few minutes. Join me in this deep dive. Ready? Thinking caps on. Time to submerge. I want to distinguish between Baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled by the Holy Spirit. Um, Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the moment that you believe and receive Jesus into your life. Thank God, right? That moment. uh, Where you are born again into the family of God. That moment is when you become a son or daughter in the family of God. Adopted into the family. It is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit inside of a person That you're regenerated into the family of God, baptized by the Holy Spirit, where your dead soul has just been made alive in Christ, hallelujah, for all of eternity. That happens not the moment you die. That happens the moment you believe and receive Christ by faith alone. Amen. I'm with you, bro. Um, This happens one time and not again. It happens one time and not again. Now, there are, there's, Christians out there that will teach that you, can be, that you can be saved, but at a future point in time, you need to also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they separate the two. And I would say that that's not true, and that's not accurate biblical theology. Um, and John Stott, great theologian, wrote a book called Baptism and Fullness to really address this. And in his book, he says, It is impossible, indeed inconceivable, to have the Spirit without being a son or daughter. Or to be a son or daughter without having the Spirit. That word inconceivable thinks of, what movie is that? Yes, that's <laughs> right. Uh, I wonder if John Stott was thinking about that. Um, now, I don't, in the podcast that we record where we go, it's called Deeper Than Sunday, I take more time to, to parse out why some people teach that through the book of Acts. We don't have time for that, but you can hear that later. Um, but Stott is actively pushing back against that idea. He goes on to say, when we speak of baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are referring to a once-for-all gift. When we speak of the fullness of the Spirit, we are acknowledging that this gift needs to be continuously and increasingly appropriated. And that's key. It needs to be continuously and increasingly appropriated. You see, the filling of the Spirit is something that can and should be happening in the life of a follower of Jesus every day. In any given moment, you can say, God, fill me afresh with your Spirit. Fill me up. This is what empowers and allows the follower of Jesus to live beyond our own fears. Is when the Spirit is filling and empowering and animating us to live beyond our own wisdom, To live beyond our own feeble power that we really don't have. We're enabled to do these things when the Spirit is filling us up in the particular moment. And we can be asking God to be doing that every day, every moment in our lives. And in Acts, it's happening with all of the people. And so you need to find your people who are animated by the Holy Spirit. You need to find your people who are animated by the Holy Spirit. This happened then and this happens today and it's for all those who are in Christ. Now, I want to use a snow globe as an illustration. Now, my friends, you are the snow globe. Imagine you are the snow globe. Cool? Go with me for a moment. You don't have any snow in your globe. That's a sad snow globe. The moment that you believe and receive Jesus into your life and and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you receive your snow. Now, the snow is in here, but the snow has settled to the bottom. And so what needs to happen is we need to ask God to shake us up. And as God shakes us up, the snow begins to animate and, pure, and, and, and fill the entire snow globe. Does that make sense? Once you receive your snow, you no longer receive any more snow. You've received all that you need. But it doesn't take very much time for the snow to settle at the bottom of the globe. And at that point, we need to say, God, can you come and fill me up afresh. Can you come and and shake me up? Uh, This is an illustration of what it looks like for us to be baptized versus filled with the Spirit. And uh, what is one thing that causes the snow to settle? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 that, that sin, that sin is one thing that causes he says it's grieving the Holy Spirit, is one way he describes it. That when we are allowing sin to fill and animate our lives, that it grieves the Spirit. You have not lost the Spirit if you're in Christ. Amen? Amen. However, it's just kind of settled down to the bottom, and it's not filling and activating your life. That, that Paul basically says that you can be filled with one or the other, but that they can't coexist with each other. Animated by one or the other, and, and Paul commands us, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we can ask God to fill us every day. And in every moment, the Lord, that God delights to fill us afresh with his, uh, that we're hearing from him and walking in line with the Spirit. And so check out what happens when you, when you find your people who are actively doing this in their lives. Verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, what a sweet nickname, sold the field he owned and brought, it, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now this guy, Barnabas, becomes a significant player in the church and how it begins to grow. We're not going to spend time there, but put a little book note, uh, bookmark in Barnabas. He is an awesome, awesome brother. This moment is similar to Acts chapter 2. It's actually a similar progression that there's a, a sermon, people are saved, and we see, we get an inside picture of what the church, house churches are, are looking like. It's a picture of what the kingdom of God is meant to look like on earth. Amen? On earth as it as it is in heaven. Um, the beautiful picture of sacrificial generosity. This is hard for us. Let's be honest. No one claimed their possessions as their own. They are selling Many of them selling their homes and laying the prophets at the apostles' feet. There is no needs or hunger within the the church and the community. And people are getting saved and getting added in. And it's just this, what a wild community to live in, right? Um, How? How does this happen? Well, I believe that it's based on a proper theological thinking. Earlier, they proclaimed, God, you are the creator and the maker of everything. It's all yours. Man, when you get that, in your head, and it works its way down into your life, you begin to realize, yeah, I worked hard to get through college. I'm almost done. Praise God. Six more, six more months. Working hard. I know. We work hard to go to college, huh? Or whatever you're doing. To so save up for that first car. Oh, pay down debt. To save up for that first house. Lord willing, if you can afford it. Like, we work hard for this stuff, don't we? Yeah, we work hard, but if we're honest, is it ours? Have we earned it? Do we deserve it? Who gave us, who gave you your brain to be, even be able to think, to study, to get those grades? Who gave you the, uh, the ability to even be born or the place where you live and are? It's all a gift from God. God is the creator and the maker of all of it that we have. And, and as God grows us up, we begin to see, man, my home, everything I have, truly, my salvation and the Holy Spirit and everything else is just a cherry on top. It's all a gift from God that he has entrusted to me to be a steward and to, and to use for, um, for his purposes in life. And notice that these actions are all voluntary. None of these people are doing it because the apostles are saying you must do it. They're all doing it as an outflow of what God has done in them. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is an amazing kind of two-chapter teaching from Paul about how we're supposed to be generous in church. But in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul basically says, put, give whatever God has put on your heart. So what's God put on your heart? And when you give it, give it not with, uh, you shouldn't be arm twisted, you shouldn't be pressured, it should be a free, a free act of, of generosity where there's um, cheerfulness and joy in the giving. And what we clearly see is that the wealthier members, are paying money, their money, to support the poor members within the church. And this is, this is really, like, not a thing that we often do um, today. This is not a political thing. This is what happens when Jesus is the king of your life and your church and the people within your church as we, we care for each other's needs and we take care of each other. Now, you need, so you need to be filled, find your people, who you practice sacrificial generosity with. You need to find people to practice sacrificial generosity with. It is not easy to share. Just ask my four children. We're not good at sharing. San Diego is expensive. Inflation is real. All that stuff. We're probably all feeling tight. And so we need God to teach us how to do this. Honestly. We need God to help form and shape us in how we feel, live this out contextually today in the 21st century here in San Diego. This is a core value um, of Grace Church that we want to be um, sacrificial generosity. We want to be marked by that as a people. And so some of the ways that we live that out is in house church. In our house church, uh, we different individuals or people will bring the meal for everybody else. What an amazing act of generosity for each other. And, And when someone brings a meal for the first time, we like, we celebrate that because God is moving to be generous with the rest of our community. And some people will get spaghetti and and, uh, and tomato sauce, and they'll feed 20 people with their $30 that they have. Praise God for that. Praise God. Last Monday, someone brought Chick-fil-A for everybody. That was more than $30. <laughs> Both are great. No comparison. But... In, in what we can, we provide and provide meals for each other. That's one way we live this out. In house church, we, one of the group guidelines is make yourself at home. I share that with our house church. Uh, you don't have to knock when you come to the door. Just come on in. You need something from the fridge? Go get it. I trust you. You know, like, we practice hospitality and generosity with each other as a, and we're learning how to do this together. Some of the other ways we practice this at the church is, do you know we have a benevolent fund? Uh, and if you go to gracesc.com give, you'll see a drop down is benevolent. And so people give money towards a benevolent fund. And then people from our church that are a part of our church community can request money um, from the benevolent fund. And our elders oversee each one of those cases. What an amazing way that we are trying to live this out, right? We also have make a meal ministry, they gather monthly and produce meals for sometimes for events, but they also uh, quarterly produce a bunch of meals and put them in the freezer. And you can go to gracesd.com make a meal and request a meal be delivered to any of your friends, anyone from your house church, that if they just had a baby or if they're sick or whatever, you can have our outreach ministry will deliver a meal for free. That's pretty cool. We also have our monthly food distribution where we partner with the San Diego Food Bank and we feed either people from our church in the neighborhood and monthly we give out a ton of food. These are just a few of the ways that we as a church are practicing. Awesome, huh? I think it's cool. We've been doing these things for years. Many of you are new to this church. What, I, I would love for, to invite you to imagine and to dream ways that we can work this out to be a generous people with each other and with our neighborhood. And so I pray that you, that every one of us, that you would find your people here at Grace Church. That you would find really house churches where this t- really takes its shape, um, where you can be, c- be growing as a theological thinker, as someone who's praying for boldness to share Jesus with each other and with others outside of the house church, where you can be among people who are being filled and animated by the Spirit and where. Encouraging each other's faith in that and that we can be generous in, with each other, with one another. I pray that we would become that kind of people. Now, I want to end with our friend, the snow globe. Uh, the people in Acts 4, 2,000 years ago, prayed. And it says that the Holy Spirit came and filled all of the people. Now, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God did that back then, and he still does that today. It's amazing that God come, it, comes, in, and he fills his people afresh with his spirit. Now, I have found that when I have taken a stand for Jesus publicly, that my, my, this internal bubbling of faith that the spirit is doing in my heart, that when I've st- stood up in front of others, that it does something internally to, like, to define it. Deep, more deeply into my heart. And so, I'm going to ask you to take a risk. If you if the Lord is this is between you and God. If you're a Christian and you're if and you're honest before the Lord and the Lord is putting this on your heart that that you have received your snow, but the Holy Spirit has really been settled to the bottom of your life. And for a variety of reasons, and sometimes the longer you walk with Jesus, the the more we know and the less the spirit is really filling us up. It can happen to any of us. And so if you are just sensing from the Lord, God, I, I want to be filled afresh with your spirit. God, I want you to come and animate my life in a new way. I want a new season. I'm going to ask you in front of your church community. I know this is hard. But I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Not out of a sign of shame. Thanks, Billy. Not out of a of like... Uh, of, of anything negative, but in a sense of like these are our church this is my church community and i I want to let God come and, and fill me and move in my heart and i 'm just going to pray for you and as you stand, your faith encourages people around you and and for some of you you 're learning what it means to follow Jesus um, and you 're like i 'm not there yet. some of you woke up full of the spirit you 're like i'm I, I walked in full i 'm good, but some of some of us with our own church community and our family, we're just like, God, I want you to come in a fresh way and, and fill up my heart. Thank you for standing. Stay standing. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Is there anyone else that would like like to join them? It's a balcony. I see you friends up there. Yeah, we, we celebrate. Uh, as a church family, can we just give a, hand, a round of applause? We We celebrate what God is doing in your life. And stay standing. I'm going to just pray. I'm going to pray for you. Let's all bow our heads. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, the, uh, each one standing is a moment of confession. It's a, it's a confessing of God that um, in, so, in whatever way you've settled to the, um, to the bottom of their heart and their life, uh, and that's a hard thing to confess, but Lord, you are faithful all throughout the gospels. Anytime people come to you and ask you to move in their life, God, that delights your heart. Jesus, you move and, and respond. And God, I believe as, as, they, as they confess this before you, God, in their community, God, that you honor and you are filling them afresh, God, with your Holy Spirit right now. God, may you stir their heart. May you shake them up right now, God. Lord, I, I pray that they would not only know it, but they would feel it deep down in their bones. God, I pray that as they search you, for you in the scriptures, God, you would illuminate their minds and their hearts in a fresh way, God. I pray, Lord, as they, as they talk to you and pray, God, that you would, they would hear your voice uh, just in a, a beautiful way in this season of life uh, moving forward for them. Lord, may you speak to them. May they hear from you. God, I pray that, that they would find ways to, to boldly talk about you, Jesus. And all of the things that we see, Lord, may you, may you breathe afresh upon them, God. May each one of these step into a a new season of life with you, God, filling and animate every part of their lives. Y'all can take a seat. God, thank you. Thank you that you love it. You love to fill your people. I pray for all of us, God, that all of us would find our people. There would not be a single person who calls Grace Church San Diego their home that would ever feel alone in this life, God. That we would all feel alone like we belong and are connected and we're growing and maturing to become the people that you have called us to be, God. Thank you that you love to do it. We're excited for the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.